electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Omicron rattles the New York area ahead of the holiday, but there's good news from Moderna about the variant and a testing plan to get you through it safely. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. If you're using a rapid test to try to protect the social gathering, you want to generally use that test as close as possible to the setting, to the activity. And I would still recommend serial testing if you can. Biden's Build Back Better plan all but foiled. Magic tricks in D.C. with CNBC's Eamon Javers. There just hasn't been any suggestion that they would get Republicans on this. But if they could pull a rabbit out of a hat, they could trade Manchin. Plus, another conference postponed. Jets for the World Economic Forum in Davos are grounded for now. All along, who thought of Davos? Did anyone say Klaus, the Maldives? I mean, take your pick around the world of where you could do this. You're sort of stuck there, and that's what makes it great. It's Monday, December 20th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. We start the podcast today with a feeling of deja vu. COVID cases up again, and market confidence is down again. The Omicron variant of COVID-19 has been found in 43 out of 50 U.S. states and around 90 countries, and the number of new cases doubling in a matter of days. According to Johns Hopkins University, the U.S. is now averaging more than 121,000 new cases every day. And that rate has spiked demand for testing ahead of the Christmas holiday. Cars and people lining up at testing sites, some for hours. Here's outgoing New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. We expect these next weeks to see a very, very big surge in the number of cases, more than we've seen previously. And then we expect, after a period of time, uh, that it will dissipate. Experts warn that as the demand increases, test results may take longer, and it could become more difficult to find at-home tests in some parts of the country. It's no surprise that after nearly two years of COVID uncertainties, investors still don't like them. In light of Omicron and Delta, which is still going, and rising prices everywhere, the global markets are kicking off this holiday-shortened trading week with an unfestive, all-consuming red. The first thing I did when I came in, uh, guys, was I asked if we still had an image of a thousand board feet, because that is some article in the in the journal today. Uh, lumber again. Uh, I mean, it's doubled since November, and I learned a new word. Did you guys know what hinky meant? Hinky supply chains. Hinky. It's I know. Really hinky means word. like messy, right? It means unreliable. Okay. Unreliable, and that's in the you know. You never heard some, of hinky before, like, like not really hinky in terms hinky. of a hinky. I've heard, a hinky supply. I've heard of a hickey. No, um, a hinky. That's hinky. Is a, hinky is a different thing. I thought it was thing. a Midwest thing. Yeah, it is a, a hinky supply chain. So unreliable, but interesting article that the journal points out. A lot of supply as well as demand uh, issues yeah. uh, with lumber, and it is volatile. But there was a time when you you would never see a comma 
in a lumber price. <laughs> and now a couple of times, it got as high as 1,700 at one point. It's back yeah. over 1,000. People, restaurants build outdoor areas and, and people stay right. home and do yeah. home improvement and all kinds of, of reasons. And there's some flooding in some of the areas where there's mills and, and supply concerns. And then the other thing they talk about is that builders are like, we got to sell houses now. Rates are going back up. We got to make hay while the sun shines. So build these things. <laughs> and so there's all these things going on, but up, up, uh, up. could yep. be a supply chain, another harbinger of maybe we're going, well, Omicron might be taking us further. And then you got Christmas and and you got uh, on the opposite and you got oil prices, yeah. which are sliding today. But that is a, uh, obviously that is a, a demand issue Globally, Becky, I saw the the Dow was actually down more than 500 at one yeah, point. I, I think. saw it down 444. Yeah, at one point. yeah, I saw it when I went, and and um, it did rebound a little after Moderna, Moderna. said they gave a uh, 100 milligram and right. 50 milligram what the booster was able to do in a test tube. I don't know what that means at 37 times antibodies or something, but somewhat positive for the existing. Uh, Moderna booster, not even the Omicron. But you, you uh, saw the specific. story in the New York Times yesterday that said basically these two mRNA vaccines, Moderna yeah. and Pfizer, are the only are ones the that only have ones any that... effectiveness against Omicron, Omicron. And if you are talking about whether it be J&J, &J, whether it be Sinovac, whether it be Sputnik or any of the other, you know, AstraZeneca, any of the other vaccines around the globe, right. they basically have zero effectiveness against Omicron. If you go into the doctor and goes, yeah, I got a good vaccine for you here. It's called Sputnik. I think it's like I might find a <laughs> yeah. new doctor. I don't know. What you were talking about with the spikes and lumber prices and other things, Joe, uh, Diane Swank was uh, on Twitter this week just talking about how this pandemic is different than any other. In pandemics in the past, you didn't have these fears of inflation because things shut down. There wasn't the demand. This is different right. from every other pandemic in that there is huge demand and huge consumer spending that goes along with some of these things. That's you know, why you have these kind of crazy forces that are coming up against each other. Well, I got to get shopping for Christmas. Uh, I got to do some because- really? uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and uh, are the shelves, uh, how are the shelves? Not I great. I don't know, I've been done for a while. It's, this is going to be a boon for Amazon. If you thought that Amazon was slowing during Christmas, if you can get this things. is going to be. Yeah. I, I don't know. Trying to get, get ugly it. sweaters, you, you get can't it. get them before Christmas at this point. Tried that yesterday. Who, when wants, an ugly, who wants an ugly because sweater? Because I just found out last night that it's ugly sweater day at school on Thursday. You can't get an ugly sweater delivered by Thursday at this point. I will send you one from my closet. It's not for me. I, I need many. a small one for Kaylee. You got a <laughs> size six? <laughs> we can shrink it. Now to Washington, uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin says he will not support President Biden's Build Back Better plan. Eamon Javers joins us now with what investors need to know. Good morning, Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Joe. Senator Manchin's announcement came with less than an hour's notice to the White House. And the announcement means the ambitious package pushed by President Biden to improve education, the social safety net and deal with climate change is all but dead. On Fox News Sunday, Manchin portrayed himself as someone who tried in good faith to go along with his fellow Democrats. I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. Now, that prompted an outraged response from the White House, where Press Secretary Jen Psaki issued a statement 
blasting Manchin for breaching his commitments to President Biden and his colleagues in Congress. She said just as Senator Manchin reversed his position on Build Back Better this morning, we will continue to press him to see if he will reverse his position yet again to honor his prior commitments and be true to his word. Now, Manchin is a Democrat who represents a conservative state where President Biden lost to former President Trump by more than 30 points. And he said the Democratic bill pushed sweeping changes to American society would cost too much money and raise taxes too high. Now, the bill would include a monthly per-child cash payment of up to $300 for most parents, child care funding, universal pre-K, and Medicare hearing benefits. It would also commit more than $500 billion to fight climate change. Now, many of Manchin's fellow Democrats vented their frustration with the senator on Sunday, criticizing him for not negotiating in good faith and blasting a conflict of interest through his ownership stake in a coal brokerage business as he was negotiating on those climate change measures. But bottom line, guys, it's a 50-50 Senate. Democrats needed every single vote to pass the bill. They didn't get there, but Senator Schumer this morning in a note out says that the Senate will in fact vote on Build Back Better in January, even if they don't have the votes. He said it's important for every member of the Senate to say what they feel and, and vote on the Senate floor where it matters, not in a television studio where it doesn't, guys. Back yeah, back. Manchin said that's fine. He'll, he'll do that. I don't know what he said behind closed doors, but he's been consistent all along with what he said. So I don't, I don't know what Jen Psaki's talking about with the flip-flop. Let me ask you something, um, Amy. Yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw some Democrats saying, golly, that Lisa Murkowski's one heck of a great person and a, and a great senator up there in Alaska. And you know, Susan Collins, we've yeah. had our, our issues with her, but she's such a wonderful person. And uh, I'd go for mittens. I, who knows what he's capable of on, on any given day. You mean day. Mitt Romney? Yeah. I am talking, yeah, Mitt, uh, oh yeah, Mitt, Senator Romney. Uh, they said it would be good for Alaska. That might be a tough sell. Um, Alaska has a little bit of a hydrocarbon business uh, up there. Um, uh, you think there's any chance that they flip yeah. uh, any other, any uh, a Republican to get this done? You know, they're just... There just hasn't been any suggestion that they would get Republicans on this. There's just been no, no. intelligence that those Republicans are gettable. But if they could pull a rabbit a, out of a hat, right? It was a stretch from the start. At, for, at fifty-fifty, something this look, this big and this transformative was a stretch from the start right. at fifty-fifty. That, that's Joe. That's absolutely right. You can't pass big sweeping pieces of legislation unless you have big sweeping majorities. The Democrats just don't have that. They had no room for error here, and they have a caucus, which includes people like AOC on the left in the House uh, and Joe Manchin on the right in the Senate. Uh, appealing to all those people and creating a massive piece of legislation that's going to get all those votes is nearly impossible to start with. So then the question is, as uh, we were just talking with Ivan the K on Twitter about uh, just a few minutes ago, Why? is can you break this up and put it into smaller pieces put it in smaller pieces uh, and pass those individual pieces. The problem is you face the filibuster, right? So you've got to get 60 votes for those smaller pieces. How many yeah. of the pieces of this are popular enough in the Senate to get it's 60 reconciliation votes? reconciliation to start, uh, you know, right? It's reconciliation so, I mean, to start. Yeah, right. So. You, you needed reconciliation to get it through on, on a 50-vote margin, right? So with, but, the, with the vice president breaking the tie, right. breaking it up is even, and, even harder to do, believe it or not. Eamon, that, that was where I was going to go because I saw some of that, that Twitter correspondence. Do they call it correspondence on Twitter? It, if, if you we were to call it sort of identify I do mine with a, quill pen. a chunk or two of this bill that you think could pass, what would it be? 
I don't know. I mean, the benefits for children, maybe. I mean, you know, parenting is very popular, bipartisan, you know, across the across the board. But you're going to have a lot of Republicans who say it's too expensive. So and then, I don't know what the piece is here. I mean, certainly not the climate change stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, if, and it's not just too list. expensive on the parenting stuff. They were saying some of the, mo- the, the bigger things that they were behind were going to be climate change and the parenting issues. But I, I, I think you've got big problems on both of those. Manchin, those were two of his big sticking points. Yeah. And in terms of right. how expensive it is, in terms of who you're giving it to, you're going to make everybody mad. That's, that's why the bill got so convoluted as it was, because you basically had gimmies for everybody to convince them to vote for other stuff they didn't want to vote for. If you start stripping those out, you lose any sort of momentum with it. I, I don't know how they get any of this passed at this point. Yeah, it's a massive game of Jenga, right? Yeah. And you, you build this thing in a way that it can stay balanced for a second while you pass it, <laughs> uh, but you break it into different pieces and, and you don't have a tower anymore. You've right. got nothing. So you get I, I don't know what they you do could here. get I mean, Mansion on board this vote it, and take the loss. Amen. If it really was one and three quarter, you could get Mansion. But you on lose board. a lot of these progressives. Right. The other option is to strip it. The, the other option is to strip it way down. Yeah. Get Mansion on board with whatever he'll agree trillion. to, and tell the progressives. <laughs> Tell the, the real price. price. The but the pre- progressives were already fighting it. They, they barely got it through the House because the progressives were so mad at this point and, and figured that some right, of those right, gimmicks that problem. were in it that Manchin didn't like would be able to extend these programs. When Manchin didn't go along with right. the gimmicks, then you lost the entire, the entire thing. What do you think the chances are that Manchin is running for president? Oh, boy. I don't know. As an independent, it was like I mean, a silence. It was like a silence. Just he's a now. man without a. He's a man without a party. It's, it's independence, an look, I mean, independence the speculation can't win. is that the Democrats, right? So, so fast forward this, right? I mean, it, where we are right now, Joe Biden is going to lose a major piece of his legacy that he spent a year trying to get through. There's no real scenario right now for it to pass. Now, maybe they pull a rabbit out of the hat in January and they figure something out with Manchin, but Biden is is potentially going to lose a big piece here. Uh, he's potentially going to lose big time in the mid-ter- midterm elections in the fall. That means the last two years of his term, he, he passes basically nothing uh, and faces yeah. a Congress that's investigating him for two years. And then there's the question of whether he's going to run again or not in 24. A lot of Democrats suspect he's not going to run, which sets yeah. up uh, sort Hillary. of a circular firing squad of a Democratic <laughs> campaign. Andrew, don't the ruin the Trump-Hillary rematch. While he's trying to do it. Don't ruin that Trump-Hillary rematch, which people are starting I'm to talk about in absolute horror. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where the Democratic Party is going to be effectively in three years from now and where Manchin plays in that in, in a completely polarized world. Does he look like he's somebody in the middle or does he I mean, look like he's somebody far out? That's, to me, that's look, the question. He, he, he looks like somebody, look like somebody who represents who West Virginia. That's, yeah. Like, yeah. And he this. doesn't look like somebody who could win a Democratic Rematch. primary. Right? You've got to go and get Democratic mm-hmm. primary voters to, to vote for you. Okay. Um, Eamon Javers in Washington, D.C. this morning. We have some other breaking news uh, for the uh, elites in our audience and maybe the, the elites on our, on our, our sets. Uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos uh, being called off officially now due to the Omicron variant. COVID-19, that annual meeting was scheduled to take place in Davos, Switzerland. It was supposed to happen um, on January 17th through 21st. Um, the group now saying that it is planned for early summer. This is it's been postponements for many years now. How many years we, we were uh, about a year? We were there. Year, we were there in 2020. We yes. Yeah, so we've only right. missed one year. But then year. they were going to try to do it in 21. And there were like two or three efforts, if you remember. Well, they were going to do it in Singapore doing, last summer. And in that Singapore, didn't happen. and then it kept kept rolling. Uh, lots of CEOs that I've been talking to even over the last 
four or five days had been dropping out or thinking right. about dropping out as is. That's why they canceled is. this. This is, right. you know, and I, think I that's talked to a bunch of people over the weekend, that too. Moment. Rescheduled for early summer, which... Uh, Might be a nice time in the office. Sounds okay, instead mm -hmm. of us freezing our... Uh, but all along, what, who thought of... Do did anyone say, Klaus, the Maldives, the... the uh, I, I mean, take your pick around the world of where you could do this. Oh... I have very, I, I, oh, I know, I, sort of I know love you it. love it. I know you, but why? In the why you know why? why? You know what's so great about it? No, because I don't. you're, the truth <laughs> is, and you, you'll, you'll understand this, you're sort of stuck there. And that's what actually makes, <laughs> but that's what makes you it know great. What? Hitting your head against the wall when you hit makes it great. It's really good. You're it's like, of, whoa, it's much better when I don't hit my head against this, the wall. Whoa. Oh, you're in this beautiful place. You have you're these trapped. beautiful mountains. A you can't fly in and out tour. just whenever you want. <laughs> you know what? I, it's complicated, it's right? Genius. It's very difficult to get there, so the people get stuck there. And as a result, there's lots of people it's watching. Crappy showers oh, and like is, a plastic toilet. This is why those, places like Aspen are a great place for food. conference, because it's hard to get to and it's hard to leave. It's At least hard you can to get, get to unless you have a private jet in, in and a private Aspen helicopter. Let's where put your feet don't hit the, the, the wall. Where your feet aren't hitting the wall and you're watching, you know, um, Law and Order reruns in German. But that's <laughs> you, Joe. That's, it's, that's you're well, the only you're one doing that. Because you're out that. eliting. You're out eliting and influencing and God knows what else over there. I, I've never if even you're done there, it. you might as well make hay. Why are you there otherwise? Watching Law and Order in the middle of the mountains. Yeah, in German. <laughs> it's impossible. It I is a no Rorschach test for your personality, let's just say. Next on Squawk Pod, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on Moderna's big news in the fight against COVID's Omicron variant. A properly boosted vaccine does appear to be quite effective and provide meaningful protection. You're also going to see some symptomatic infections. These vaccines are not 100%. Plus, safeguarding your holiday plans and your offices right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Some of the New York financial firms that had been among the most aggressive in bringing people back to the office, well, they're going remote again. Robert Frank joins us with that. Robert. Good morning, Andrew. Well, J.P. Morgan, that is New York's largest employer, telling workers they can go back home for at least the next two weeks. A memo sent late Friday said that employees, depending on their roles, can work remotely until at least January. Then Citigroup, which had called people back for two days a week starting in September, now telling staffers that it's New York and New Jersey offices, they can also stay home. 
Jeffrey's asking its 4,500 workers to work from home after a spike of nearly 40 COVID cases. Morgan Stanley also giving more employees the option of working from home. This all comes as New York City was counting on these financial firms to lead the office recovery and the city's much-needed commercial comeback after the holidays. About a third of the city's office workers were back in the office uh, this fall. In December, that was expected to climb through up to 50%, and then in January, even higher. But now the partnership for New York is expecting a sweeping rollback in those plans. That has hit the stocks of the big New York commercial REITs. You got Empire, SL Green, Vernado all down last week. Manhattan has over 90 million square feet of empty space right now with a vacancy rate of 17%. So guys, the longer this drags on, the longer people are out of the office, the harder it will be to bring them back. Robert Frank, uh, it's a story that uh, unfortunately keeps on giving. Bex? Thanks, Andrew. There are a number of headlines on COVID this morning, long testing lines over the weekend amid those rising case counts. And this morning, we are hearing from Moderna with new details on booster shots. Meg Terrell joins us with the headlines. And Meg, on the, uh, co- on the front when it comes to Moderna, at least that's some good news. Yeah, Becky, it is good news, and it really reinforces what we've been hearing so far, that the booster shots really do provide additional protection against Omicron when two doses lose a lot of that protection. Uh, Let's start by looking at what the case numbers look like right now. They have exceeded 130,000 on the daily average nationally. Hospitalizations now approaching 70,000 people, uh, and deaths now approaching 1,300 a day. Um, Primarily, the largest infection rates you're seeing in the Northeast and the Midwest. And in terms of the balance, between Omicron versus Delta. CDC updated us last week saying it was about 13% prevalence in the New York, New Jersey area for Omicron, but we know that's growing really fast. And we heard from Houston Methodist over the weekend, they were seeing 80% of their cases being Omicron that they were sequencing. Uh, Dr. Fauci talked about what he's seeing in that balance yesterday on Meet the Press. Here's what he said. If you look at what's happening, what happened in South Africa, what's happening in the UK and what's beginning to happen now, I would not be surprised if Omicron bumped Delta off the table because, for example, in certain regions in the country, there's up to 50% of the isolates are Omicron. That's a doubling time of anywhere from two to three days. And when you have a doubling time that that short a period, pretty soon that isolate is going to take over. And so we are expecting potentially to hear an update from the CDC on those averages across the U.S. tomorrow. Meanwhile, on that Moderna news you mentioned, uh, showing lab data that two doses doesn't provide great neutralization, at least in the antibody levels of Omicron, but with the half-dose boost, which is the one that's cleared now for everybody, antibodies are raised by 37-fold, a full dose raises them by 83-fold, and Moderna says based on the, the quickness with which this is spreading, they're going to stick with the current booster, but they are still developing an Omicron-specific vaccine, which they expect to bring into human trials early next year, guys. So kind of the same strategy we've been hearing from Pfizer. Uh, and of course, good reassuring news there on the booster front, guys. Meg, when you, when you hear about Omicron spreading so rapidly, um, the idea of starting human trials next year, for anything related to an Omicron strain seems kind of ridiculous. It's going to burn through the population before they can get anything done on that front. 
Yeah, that of course is the question. Are we going to see this stick around as the predominant variant and something we need if we need more booster doses potentially in the future? Also, how much data will be needed if we do decide at some point that the vaccines need to be updated? Because we've seen these really creative regulatory paths using antibodies uh, alone potentially to um, to approve uh, new boosters. So we'll see if that happens here. Hey, Meg, do, do we believe that this new variant is absolutely crowding out Delta? And how is the testing working on that? Because I have a couple of friends who've gotten Omicron, but then a couple who've gotten Delta. And it seems, you know, to the extent that we think that Omicron is more mild, that has at least anecdotally played itself out, or at least in, in terms of my friend's situation. So it's sort of hard to understand what's really happening here. Yeah, well, I'm curious to know how your friends were able to figure out which variant they have. Um, there is a question, will Omicron coexist with Delta? Um, a lot of folks think that it might, um, but because it does appear to be so much more transmissible, will we see it actually replace it and sort of suppress Delta? That's a question we just don't know the answer to right now. But what we are seeing, of course, is that because Omicron can infect people who are vaccinated and even boosted, we've been seeing that a lot, that we're going to see really, really big numbers of it. Um, and so it will potentially become predominant even if Delta doesn't go away. Um, but you're right. In terms of the testing, I think most people don't know which variant they have unless they're able to get it sequenced or they're able to be told whether it had the S gene target failure dropout marker on PCR. That like never happens. That's my question with these things. We have effective tools for what would be the Delta variant, which is probably more likely to put somebody in the hospital right now. And we're we have no real way of knowing which thing to treat them with. So that's a big guessing game. And and by the way, I know of good hospitals in cities that aren't able to do these things. I can't imagine how this is playing out throughout the country. We just we have tools that are good for one strain and tools that are good for another. If you and, and by the way, limited tools on all fronts. So if you don't know which one to use, it's not like you can throw everything at it. You're totally right, Becky. And actually, we saw new guidelines come out from HHS on the antibody drugs, which are, of course, the most relevant to what you're talking about, because the Regeneron and Lilly ones, of which we have more supply, don't work against Omicron. We have a Veer GSK antibody drug where we have very limited supply that does hold up against Omicron. And HHS essentially says oh, the Veer GSK one should be reserved for the highest risk people. And also, if you can tell using that marker on PCR that they have Omicron, or if you're in an area with more than 20% prevalence of Omicron, which it sounds like is going to be many places either right now or very soon. So it is a very difficult situation with the antibody drugs. Yes, it's changing faster than we can give guidelines to healthcare professionals on how to deal with it. Uh, Meg, thank you. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor who also serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. And Scott, we need you today. Uh, obviously, a lot of questions about what's happening because things are changing so quickly. The good news on the Moderna front is that, yeah, it does look like it works against Omicron. Same thing that we've heard from Pfizer. I guess the question becomes, how effective are they? When will we know? And, and why do we still hear cases of people who are double vaxxed and even boosted with one of these mRNA shots who are coming down with, with Omicron? Yeah, look, we've seen clinical data at this point as well, and we saw the neutralization studies that the White House presented both on the Moderna vaccine. We've seen the data from Pfizer. I think that the bottom line is that a properly boosted vaccine is protective against Omicron. Some of the clinical data suggests that it's about 85 percent protective against severe disease. That was out of the Imperial College in the U.K., 
about 75% protective against symptomatic disease. These are albeit small studies coming out of the United Kingdom looking at infected patients. So a properly boosted vaccine does appear to be quite effective and provide meaningful protection. We're going to see breakthrough infections. A lot of the infections that we're seeing of fully vaccinated people and boosted people are either mildly symptomatic or asymptomatic infections. You're also going to see some symptomatic infections. These vaccines are not 100%. The premise is that the vaccine should and do appear to be protecting you against severe symptoms, hospitalization, death from COVID. And that thesis is fully intact, even in the setting of Omicron. When you look at the uh, South African experience right now, Deaths are dramatically down. Now, we've long said deaths are a lagging indicator, so we haven't been that focused on the fact that we haven't seen rise, rising deaths in South, South Africa. But at this point, now that we're more than a month into the Omicron outbreak in that country and we don't see really any impact on deaths, um, that is a pretty good indicator that vaccines and the immunity offered by prior infection is protective against really bad outcomes from this virus. We're hearing in, in Europe that hospitalizations are sharply on the rise. There are concerns about the hospitals just being overtaxed and not being able to do some of the things in the past. We hear about that in Germany. I've even been hearing that in places in the United States. That may not be Omicron. That may just be Delta. that's kind of rearing its ugly head. You've got a lot of other things that are going around, like flu right now, too. But are there places in this country where we are at risk of the hospital system being overrun? And does that prompt officials either on a federal level, state level, local level, to make some of the policy changes that we have seen implemented in Europe at this point? Yeah, I think you'll see it potentially at a local level when local healthcare systems get taxed. I don't think you're going to see anything done at a federal level. And there are healthcare systems in this country that are at capacity right now because of a combination of Delta and rising flu incidents. The hospitals in the Great Lakes region, in New York and Buffalo, there's a number of hospitals that are over 110% capacity in their ICUs right now. Same with Seattle, um, when you look at that, that part of the country as well. So parts of the country that were having a pretty brisk Delta wave and we're having rising flu incidents, now you lay Omicron on top of that, and that's really going to push some hospitals over the brink of capacity. I mean, the good news is that it does appear to be the case that hospitalizations for Omicron are on the whole less serious. Length of stay is shorter. If you look at the data coming out of South Africa, there's been about a 30, 30% reduction in hospitalization. Um, that assumes that they're, they're capturing most of their cases, which I think that they're not. But there's been an 80% reduction in uh, ICU admissions. So you're seeing a substantial reduction in severe cases coming into the hospital requiring intensive care. So if that's replicated here in the U.S. because of the pre-existing immunity in our population, even if you see rising hospitalizations, if you can increase the flow through the hospitals, more of those hospitalizations require shorter stays and not as intensive therapy. This may be something even... Um, healthcare systems that right now are taxed can weather. We'll see. I mean, that, that's the open question right now is how, how much of a burden this is going to become on healthcare systems and what kind of policy response you need to, to implement locally. I do think most of the mitigation, if it gets implemented, is going to be on a local basis and it's going to be reactive rather than preemptive. You're not going to see preemptive closures of schools and businesses. What you might see is reactive steps taken when you have outbreaks on a local basis that are taxing local healthcare systems. I, I had read something this morning that, that in Michigan, in, in terms of the hospitalizations for people with COVID, average age for vaccinated people was 75. Average age for unvaccinated people was 48. Is, is that true? And is that reflective of what you see across the nation? Well, that, that wouldn't necessarily be surprising because a lot of the spread in unvaccinated, first of all, there's fewer unvaccinated people and the cohort of people who've chosen to be unvaccinated tend to be younger. And so the fact that the uh, average age of people who are showing up in the hospital unvaccinated is a younger age probably reflects the demographic of people left who are unvaccinated. 
And if vaccinated people are going to get into trouble with this virus, it's going to be people for whom the vaccines don't work as well. And those tend to be people who are immunocompromised or elderly and frail, um, where you don't you don't get as robust or as durable response from the vaccines. So that, that brings me to my next question. I, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out if their holiday plans are safe right now. And if you are fully vaccinated, if your kids are vaccinated, um, if you've had your booster shots, I, I would assume you could feel pretty good about things, uh, even if you get it and figure that it's not going to be a big deal. If you are planning on visiting older relatives, uh, maybe immunocompromised relatives, should you be rethinking that plan? Yeah, look, I think holiday plans can be made more safe, but I, I do believe that we're in for a difficult four to six weeks right now, and people who are vulnerable need to take added precautions. This is a highly contagious variant. It is breaking through the immunity offered by prior infection and vaccination. So people who know that they're vulnerable, uh, many of whom have been sheltering for a year and living sadly diminished lives because they haven't been able to do the things that they want to do, um, this is going to be a very difficult four or six weeks. And so I would start to just take added precautions. That doesn't mean you can't gather safely. But if you're going to do it in a setting of people who are at risk from this virus, you really need to do things like testing and make sure you're not introducing an asymptomatic infection into that setting because certain people are excessively vulnerable to this virus, Omicron, Delta, all of these variants. Hey, Scott, can we just do a little practical news you can use on testing for a moment? Uh, I fo fo follow Michael Minow, who I think you follow as well, online uh, around a lot of the, the testing procedures. And it, it seems like, you know, before a dinner or a family event, people are saying test, test 48 hours, within 72 or 48 hours prior to uh, said dinner or meal or gathering. And yet I think a lot of the testing specialists are now saying, no, 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 no. What you need to be doing is literally taking a rapid test on the way in the door within an hour or two prior to the actual gathering, rather than something that tells you that you thought you didn't have it, especially as Omicron is, is as transmissible as this. Is that the right advice? Generally speaking, I mean, you shouldn't use a rapid test if you have a high index of suspicion that you may be infected. So you should go out and get a PCR test. But if you're using a rapid test to try to protect the social gathering, um, a PCR test is generally going to register a positive result earlier than, a, than an antigen-based test. An antigen-based test, the rapid test that you would use at home, aren't going to register a positive result until you have enough virus in your body to actually produce enough antigens to get a hit on that test. And so that may be later in the course of the illness. It may be after you manifest symptoms. And so you want to generally use that test as close as possible to the, to the setting, to the activity that you're trying to protect through using testing. And I would still recommend, you know, serial testing if you can. Uh, pull more than one test if you're really uh, cautious, want to be cautious about protecting people who are going into a congregate setting. You could test multiple times in advance of that setting because these tests are more likely to register a positive result. They, they get more sensitive when you do serial testing over a short period of time. If you think this burns through in four to six weeks, I mean, that, that's the good news. If we can be done with this in four to six weeks, but it, it's really prevalent right now in New York and Philadelphia in the tri-state area here, uh, Rhode Island, places like that. Is this going to be similar to what we've seen with Delta, where different areas of the country see waves at different times? And, and I ask that because, if, look, if we're done in four to six weeks and then you can feel free to, to move around the country again, that's, that's much better news than, OK, you're safe in your little area, but if you move, you might be landing in another pocket of it, pocket of it somewhere else. Yeah, look, this is probably going to move through the country more quickly than these other variants have. But that said, you're right. This has been a highly regionalized epidemic all the way through, and, and you don't see a simultaneous epidemic nationally, and this is unlikely to be one either. 
I think that right now it's very prevalent in the tri-state area, probably far more prevalent than what we're picking up. And we'll probably get a, a view of that this week. But the other thing is that Omicron may, may course its way through the population and Delta may be the residual variant that stays with us. Uh, Omicron does appear to be more contagious because of its immune escape qualities, because it's infecting a large pool of people who have some baseline immunity. But the virus itself doesn't seem to be inherently more contagious than Delta. Delta inherently, the characteristics of the virus seem to make it a more contagious virus. So once Omicron courses its way through the population, we, we develop some baseline immunity to that. That immunity may not be cross-reactive to Delta. And so Omicron may come and go and Delta may remain with us. Scott, want to thank you for your time today. I, I guess... The other, before you go, before the other issue is these monoclonal antibodies that we have relied on pretty heavily um, over the last, I don't know, I guess it's been more than six months at this point. If that was a great cure, but it doesn't work against Omicron, should you worry? Or is it, look, these are probably more mild cases. I mean, my concern would be for immunocompromised people still. Yeah, we still need those drugs for people who are going to get into trouble with this virus, and there will be people getting into trouble with this virus. The existing Regeneron Lilly antibodies don't appear to work well enough to be forward deployed. There's, a, there's an antibody by Veer Biotech that we have 55,000 doses of right now that are being forward deployed this week. There's another 300,000 doses coming online in January. Unfortunately, the government didn't start procuring that to November, which was a big policy mistake. Lilly has a second-generation antibody as well, that there are 300,000 doses sitting on pallets right now. It's clear two phase two studies, and that could be authorized by the FDA and forward deployed. I think we need to work more quickly to do that. I mean, if somebody tests positive for, for COVID, though, they're not going to know whether it's Omicron or Delta. If it's Delta, the monoclonal antibodies would still work. Right. But at this point, at least in regions that are heavily infested with Omicron, you have to assume it's Omicron. You can't use the antibodies to only work against Delta. They'll be switching over completely this week, at least in areas like the tri-state region. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Thanks a lot. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And that is the pod for today. Thanks for tuning in. We're bringing you all the news you need this holiday week. The good, the festive, and the ugly. Who wants an ugly sweater? I will send you one from my closet. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen to and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We will meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 